pocket. That's where I plan to keep it. Uh, going into stores, I do, and I, I didn't realize you uh, had a, a guideline that you were following, so uh, that is what happened. Uh, Friday was my wife and I, mine, uh, 50th wedding anniversary. It was uh, July 26, 1970, at Bethany Baptist Church in the evening, where I said I do, and I've been doing ever since. Barb... Uh, Marrying Barb was the uh, second greatest decision of my life. The first was receiving Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. The Bible says, whosoever findeth the wife findeth the good thing. I found a great thing. And uh, Barbara, Barbara is not able to be here today because our, our family was in and we're leaving at different times. Uh, my son left yesterday. We had an open house yesterday afternoon. My son left after the open house cleanup time and he's ministering in his, uh, through his church, they have uh, group meetings, family uh, showing that kind of thing. They're doing everything by the internet right now. My uh, daughter, Wendy, is back from Peru. Her and her husband, John, are at uh, Jose Rodriguez's church today, uh, Bible Baptist Temple in Rochester. My youngest daughter uh, drove back to, uh, is driving back right now to Ohio, Southern Ohio, it's her anniversary, and her husband was not able to come, and she wants to spend as much time on the anniversary with him as possible, 17 years. Uh, we have 12 grandchildren, and all of them, with the exception of one, are serving the Lord. Our kids are all in, active in their churches, and uh, you know it really doesn't get any better than that. That's really, uh, John the Apostle said, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. And I certainly believe that, and I'm very thankful for it. I thought I would give you a brief update on what's going on. Uh, 2020 has been quite a year. For Barbara and I, we were real excited about what was happening. 2020 was the 50th wedding anniversary, of course, and we've made plans to take a cruise this summer and uh, enjoy each other's company on a second honeymoon. Actually, we've had multiple honeymoons, but you get the idea. We uh, had a son that got married uh, May 30th. We planned as a family to go to Texas. Uh, everybody was going to join. This is the first time we'd all been together in a long, long time. That had to be canceled, and it was a private wedding. We were not able to attend, so that was a disappointment. Uh, the cruise, of course, has been canceled, and uh, we'll reschedule that some future date. Then uh, we have another daughter, a granddaughter, that's getting married on uh, the uh, Labor Day weekend. That's still on. We're hoping that one will, will work out. But uh, it's been that kind of year. And I know your life has been all upset as well. I traveled, I think it was March 15th, to Albany to preach at uh, Friends Church. Called before I left and said, are you sure you're going to have service? Oh, yeah, no problem. Uh, calls Saturday night when I got into town. Are you having church? Yes, no problem. Called Sunday morning, 8 o'clock, and said, are you having church? Yes, no problem. While we're eating breakfast, he called back about 9 o'clock and said, Tom, I'm sorry, but we're just not able to have services. I found out some of our folks have been exposed to the COVID, and we don't want to take a chance, and so that was canceled. The original decision to close uh, churches and businesses and everything else came about by bad information coming out of the Center for Disease Control and the, the president's medical experts. 
we were told that 80% uh, of New Yorkers would get this disease and that uh, hundreds of thousands of people would die. We were told nation nationwide that between around two to three million people would die. And that all turned out to be grossly exaggerated. The numbers are considerably lower than that, as you know. And those numbers are really inflated. I know several stories of people that had someone in their family that was dying with cancer or heart problems or something else, and the death certificate says COVID. Uh, they really did not have COVID. This could very well have been an attack from China. It, um, China, we know, has worked on biological warfare. It came out of China. It came near a lab that they have over there. Uh, or it could have been accidentally released somehow. And, uh, but what was not uh, accidental is they allowed people, they banned travel in China from Wuhan, but did not ban travel overseas. And lots of people traveled. And the governor complains that it didn't come out of China, it came out of Europe, because it already spread to Europe. And then several million people, three, four million, whatever his numbers are, uh, came to New York City, and that's why it spread and why New York has the greatest number. I think there's some truth to that, except they forget that the president banned travel from China early in this, and a couple weeks later banned travel from Europe. Uh, the border, the U.S.-Canada border, is still closed right now, and we're still living under this thing. We've moved now in phases. These phases are uh, arbitrary, I think, and I think the governor is changing the rules as it goes along. The legislature, I think it was March 5th, uh, gave the governor almost unlimited authority to, to handle this crisis. And since that time, he's given over 280 executive orders, changing laws, putting demands on all of us, and this is all being done for our good. Uh, he finished the other day what he called his last daily briefing, and I think he went one day and was back on another briefing with new rules and new guidelines, et cetera. He, uh, we had phase four, basically we were supposed to get back to the new normal. Nobody's exactly sure what new normal is, but that's what we were supposed to get to. And when we got to that, he, he announced that we're moved to phase four, but malls can't be opened. Uh, 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 workout centers can't be, uh, fitness centers can't be open, et cetera. So we're still, everything's up in the air. This has been devastating to businesses in New York as well as the whole country has had problems. The economy, we were at record unemployment. We're now at record, uh, record the other way. Uh, that people are not able to get jobs. We're somewhere around 15%. It got, it got real close to the time of the depression, the rates of the depression. And uh, the stimulus package was sent out. Congress is passing laws and things are being done that are foolish. Uh, we already were in a, a debt that we cannot pay. Uh, it's over $20 trillion. Write that out sometime to see how many zeros that is. And we have since then spent six, uh, three more or six trillion in, in trying to correct it. And they're talking about more stimulus packages now. And this went out, these checks went out, even to people who are retired who had no financial losses during this time. It's just, it's nonsensical. 
the unemployment, uh, people were making more money not working than they were making working. So now that businesses are starting up, uh, employees are mad when their employer calls back and says you can come back to work. And some were refusing, so finally they passed regulation said, well, if you're called back and don't go back, you don't get unemployment anymore. So at least they're trying to straighten that out. But you see how nonsensical some of it is. It's just throw money at it. We're going to solve this problem. Ban everybody. Everybody stay home. Stay healthy. Um, folks, our times are in the hands of God. It is appointed unto man once to die. And after this, the judgment. You are going to die. I have been absolutely amazed at how many Christians are scared to death of COVID. Uh, one of the men that came to our, our open house yesterday, good man, but he's been scared to death of this thing. And he's not sleeping at night. He looks, he's, he's gotten very thin and he's not in good health. And I said, he was going, I called earlier, called him earlier in the week and I said, how are you doing? He said, well, I'm going to, I gotta get to the doctor, I'm gonna get be tested for COVID. I'm sure I've got it. I said, well, what symptoms do you have? Are you having trouble breathing? No. Shortness of breath? No. Fever? No. Headaches? No. Extra tired? No. Well, what, are you ill? No. But I gotta get the test. And people don't think through this, I didn't tell him, but if you're tested today, that's for today you don't have it. But tomorrow you might get it. So you can be tested every day. The numbers are inflated uh, for deaths, as I said. They're inflated for the number of people who get it. We're doing more testing. That means you're going to have more. Now, there has been a spike in Texas and some of the southern states. And uh, there's some criticism. But listen, folks, if, if we haven't had an uptick in New York with all the rioting, there's no reason to believe that, that that's a big problem. My daughter uh, teaches in a public school, my young, uh, middle daughter teaches in a public school in Texas, in the Houston area, and they had a graduation the other day, and they had six foot, and they had fields laid out where people could stand six feet apart and all that, and then when they got all done, they had a fireworks display, and they showed pictures of the crowd, everybody's all together watching the fireworks. You know, and they're not wearing masks. I mean, come on, let's, you know, face it. Um, I, I told my friend, uh, if you get COVID, what's the worst thing that can happen to you? He said, well, I'll die. Well, if you die, what happens to you? I'll go to heaven. Is that so bad? I mean, come on. Is that so bad? I might get sick. Well, yeah, you might get sick. You might get sick. Actually, the numbers are not that much different from the flu. It kills people every year. And, you know, the rate now is, the last rate I saw was less than 2% of people getting COVID-19 die from it. And everyone, most of them are in the, the elderly, particularly nursing homes, and people with pre-existing conditions. You have heart problems, you have, you know, you name the list, you've seen the list. So uh, if you're healthy, uh, take good care of yourself, get plenty of rest, eat right, do all those kind of things, wash your hands. You know, who would have thought 
we would need the government to tell us to wash our hands with soap. But there's signs on the throughway. Wash your hands with soap. Duh, I was using kerosene before, you know. I, I uh, didn't know there was supposed to be soap. In the, in, uh, it's just, uh, you know, I, I'm making light of some of this, and I, I understand it's a serious thing. But we need to get a perspective on this. As Christians, as believers, we need to have a right perspective. We need to put faith over fear. We cannot operate our life fearful of everything. And so uh, let me encourage you. Now, I would like to say I I am very thankful for, for Zoom and some of those things that are happening and the outreach that people have had, churches have had. Churches were very innovative. Uh, I was amazed at how a lot of pastors got a real education real quick on how to use the Internet and have done a marvelous job. I've listened to more sermons than I've had in a long time, and uh, I'm telling you, I'm impressed with what God's done. I have talked probably to over 100 pastors. I had a couple pastors' fellowship meetings. I attended a Zoom fellowship meeting from New York City and some others. Uh, and then I call on the telephone or, or correspond with uh, email. And almost every pastor I've talked to has said their offerings are up, not down. And I'm impressed by that. That's, that's the faithfulness of God's people. And the only churches that I know, I just heard of one yesterday that had a financial loss. And that's a church that went to the government for a handout. Okay. Now, here's a very simple principle. As a church, you should look to God, not government, for help. Okay. Separation of church and state, the tax belongs to Caesar, the tithe belongs to the Lord. Okay? The church should not be trying to get tax money, and Caesar shouldn't be trying to get his hands on the tithe. Okay? That's separation of church and state. And we really need to practice that. Well, the legislature has not been doing much, except they did decide to pass 12 police reform bills. No longer are policemen going to be able to choke. And if you know anything about self-defense, if you're trying to subdue somebody, um, you know, it's called a sleeper hole by most people. But you watch when they're playing. How do you tackle somebody? Grab their arm? Uh, you can go for the legs, but if you're going to subdue somebody, usually you grab them around the throat. That's going to be banned now. And police morale is at an all-time low. Uh, it's incredible. The mayor of New York City has announced he's going to call for a $1 billion cut in the police, a New York State, a New York City budget, police budget, NYPD. That's an incredible cut. They laid off 600, uh, 600 squad undercover unit in New York City. Undercover cops are how they catch a lot of drug dealers and gang members and a lot of those other kinds of things. They're going to cut all that off. Within a week of doing that, the mayor lost, uh, blew his stack because of all the fireworks going on and demanded that we're going to go after these people with fireworks, selling fireworks, and he wants to use undercover cops to do that. Well, governor, you, or mayor, you just relieve them of that duty so you don't... 
But all the things going on in the country, we're going to go after people selling fireworks. Okay? I think they ought to go after the people who are using the fireworks to blow up things, like statues. And we've gone crazy. Uh, there, there's a big protest in Washington. Or they're trying to remove a statue of Abraham Lincoln with a, a slave that's breaking his shackles and looking up. That was paid for by slaves that had been emancipated by President Lincoln. It's called Freedom Square. So they're attacking. They, they defaced the Lincoln Memorial. Lincoln's the guy who emancipated the slaves. So it, it makes no sense. One black leader called for the destruction of every statue of Jesus, because Jesus is portrayed as a white man. There are various groups active, and if you look a little bit beyond the headlines, you'll find out what they stand for. Black Lives Matter started as a hashtag social group, uh, protesting what happened in Ferguson and also the Trayvon Martin case. Uh, it has grown the three lesbian black women that started that. In an interview just recently, one of those leaders, one of those women, uh, confessed that she was a trained organizer, a trained Marxist. That's what she said. Now, there are a lot of people ganging on to Black Lives Matter that don't have much to do with it, so you, you need to understand it's a very loose organization. But to have an official chapter, you have to agree to a certain set of beliefs. And the beliefs are, one of the things they want to do is destroy the nuclear family. They want to do away with the Western concept. Now, it's not a Western concept, it's a biblical concept. A husband and a wife, married to each other, raising kids. That's what they think is bad. And what they're doing is destroying the very thing that could help the black community. The reason there's a problem in our city is because of the breakdown of the family. And the family is broke down because there's been a breakdown in faith. Something like 70% of black children are, are, growing, are being born into families without a dad present. Boys need dads. They need dads. How does a boy learn to be a man? By watching his father. How does a man learn how to treat a woman? By watching how his father treats his mother. That's how you do that. And it, it, it's not just what you say in your home. It, it's how you live it out. Uh, even... You know, I, I tell young couples that are dating, if you're going to look for a spouse, watch how that young man or that young lady talks about her parents. Because if she's not respectful toward them, she won't be respectful toward you, young man, or vice versa. Or the hot boy is, misuses his it, it just, how do you, how do you what, what do you do? Why is this, why has this happened? Because there's a breakdown in faith. And our schools are a mess, and when it, these, are, these inner cities are cauldrons right now of kids that can't get work. They need, they need a family. A family's necessary. Their family's not there, so what are they doing? They're turning to gangs. And that's the group, that's the thugs that are out there. And there are people agitating that group to, uh, called uh, Black Lives Matter, Antifa. Antifa means anti-fascist. They actually act more like fascists. Uh, many of them are, are open communists. Some of them are, are uh, Mar just call themselves socialists or Marxists. 
and some of them call for anarchy, no government whatsoever. This last week, the next issue of Arise is going to feature the National Anthem. National Anthem was written in 1812 when Baltimore, the Fort McHenry, was under attack by the British. Uh, Francis Scott Key was on board a ship negotiating the release of some American prisoners. His mission was successful, but because they're going to start the bombardment of the fort, they wouldn't let anyone ashore. He ended up in the bay watching as the British ships bombarded the fort through all the night and wrote at, at twilight, we saw the stars in Bari flying and uh, then talk, the Star Spangled Banner and then in, at dawn's early light that our flag was still there. We saw that our flag was there. It's a great national anthem, hard to sing, but it's a great national anthem. One of the lines in that, and, and conquer we must when our cause is just, and this be our motto, in God is our trust. Abraham Lincoln had that added to our currency during the Civil War. It was finally permanently done by an act of Congress after Teddy Roosevelt's administration, or maybe perhaps during it. It is the national motto of the United States. They want to replace that. One of the suggestions is John Lennon's song, Imagine. Now, do you, do you remember this song? Now, it's a, it's a catchy melody, I, I grant you. Imagine there's no heaven. That's how it starts. Uh, we're going to do away with God. That's what this is all about. This is spiritual warfare. We are in a battle for the soul of America. And right now, um, we're hard-pressed. So when pastor said we need to pray, we certainly do. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Psalms. I thought we'd look just briefly at a psalm, Psalm 95. This is a, one of my favorite psalms for a lot of reasons. And as I was coming down here, one of the things I appreciate about this church is the way you sing. I always feel that this is a singing church. This is a church where you sing like you mean it. The psalmist... Uh, David is the author of this psalm. He wrote most of the psalms. Uh, this one is identified as David as the author by the author of Hebrews. He tells us that David said, quoting part of the psalm, it has three parts. Uh, the one middle part is pretty small, but the first part we'll look at and then the second we'll do the third. The first thing is glad worship. Glad worship. It was just fun to come today. And look forward to it. Barb uh, missed being in church with singing. Pastor mentioned singing today as well. Um, Zoom meetings are nice, but you, you can sing along, but it's not the same, is it? So the psalmist says, Come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. I'm glad he said that because some of us can't sing, and the best we can do is a joyful noise. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise unto him with psalms. Uh, our singing, have you noticed our singing is joyful? It's uplifting. The world's music is discouraging. Things like the blues, rock, etc. Our, our, our music lifts you up. Uh, Pastor mentioned how Christian music's different, and it is. 
But even, even have you watched on television? I like to watch Lawrence Welk. I've gotten to my parents' age now, and it's on TV. And I, Saturday night, I usually watch Lawrence Welk. And he once in a while will have somebody saying that probably is not a believer. It doesn't minister to your soul the same way as a Christian who maybe doesn't have as trained a voice or as perfect a voice, but they sing you know, from their heart. It makes a world of difference. Anyway, it says, we are to come to before him a joyful noise with psalms. That's the what of our worship. We come before the Lord with singing. Now, Muslims, how do they come before their God? By falling flat on their face. That's it. Uh, how do Buddhists come to their God? Well, they sort of don't believe in a God, but they do chants. And Hindus, well, they're fearful of their gods. In fact, all the world's religions are fearful of their God. You and I come before the Lord with singing. We're singing. We sing songs. We sing songs that have meaning. Now, one of the tragedies of our day is the hymns, the great hymns of the faith are being replaced by these 7-Eleven songs, as you know, and you know, many of them don't say anything, and some of them don't make sense. And they say it seven times, so it must be true. Or worse yet, they make Jesus sound like he's your boyfriend or your girlfriend. He's our Lord. Uh, I, driving down today, I have uh, Cirrus Radio, and there's a station uh, that has Christian music, real good Christian music on Sunday morning. And it was excellent this morning. Um, it is well with my soul. I mean, that's a song that ministers to my heart. Uh, they sang, redeemed how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the lamb. You know, what a tragedy to, to no longer sing about the blood. No longer sing about the cross. We need to be singing about that. Not just that Jesus can do this and that for us. The why. For the Lord is a great God and a king above all gods. Now, the psalmist is not suggesting there are actually other gods, but, but there's no God like our God. Man has never conceived a God like the true and the living God. He is omnipotent. He is all, the Almighty. The gods of the Greeks were worse than mortals in their behavior. Uh, same with the Romans. They took the same gods, gave them different names. They're terrible. The Norse gods were bloodthirsty. Um, you know, you can look at any religion you want. Their God is not like our God. But our God is above all. He is God. He's a great God. And then in his hand are the deep places of the earth. So we now praise him for what, what, who he is, but what he's done. This is a common theme in the Psalms that we praise God for his works. What has he done? Now here it's speaking of his power. In his hand are the deep places of the earth. The strength of the hills are his also. Uh, the sea is his and he made it. And his hands form the dry ground. He's the creator. We have a beautiful world, don't we? I mean, it's, I love this time of year when everything's green and lush, except my lawn that's starving for rain. <laughs> but, you know, when the leaves start coming out to light, this is a wonderful time of year. But even in the other seasons, the fall, we see all the beautiful colors. You know, God didn't have to do that. He could have just had the leaves turn black, fall to the earth, and that'd be it. 
Um, the winter, the snow. I love snow as long as it's in the fields, not on the road. Okay. I, or I have to shovel it, either one. But, you know, this, the snow in the wintertime and the sun shining glistens. You think of the, think of the sunset, sunrise, too, if you get up early enough. Just gorgeous. Our God did all that. Our God is the one who creates all that. No painter could ever come up with what our God did. No scientist could ever conceive of the things that our God has made. We serve a great and holy God. He is wonderful. So the invitation is, O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Now, here you say, well, that means we need to kneel or we need to bow. No, it really has to do with your heart. What we are doing is we're kneeling before him. We're recognizing he's God and we're not. That he's in control of our lives. He's the one that guides us. He's the one that gives us our breath. You know, the Governor Como a while back took credit for all the, the cutting down of the disease, and he said, now, God didn't do that. Well, friend, you couldn't have taken your next breath unless God gave it to you. Amen. So be careful when you tell, you know, I, I, chills. I got chills. You know, if I were God, I'd, that'd be the end of Governor Como. But our God's got a lot more mercy than I do. It's a good thing, because I'd be two. He had zapped me a long time ago. So we come before him and worship him. He's God. Now we think particularly on Sunday, and it's a wonderful thing to be able to be here on Sunday. It's a great, great worship. And then there's a, a great wonder. We are the sheep of his pasture. For he is our God, and we are the sheep of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. The people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. That reminds me, of course, of Psalm 23. My second church, I had a radio program that was the first thing at an AM station in the morning and the last thing at night. It was a sunrise to sunset um, station. Back then, an AM station, many of them were like that. So I was on first thing for five minutes and the last thing at night. And then they played, well, actually, they played the national anthem, then me, and then at the end, I spoke, and then the national anthem, that was the end for the night until the sign died. Because it was a small community, everybody listened to it. It was the source of local news. And so I, I ended up being known in the community, and that meant funerals. Because the funeral director, somebody would come in, and they, their loved one had died, and he'd say, do you know a minister? And they said, well... No, the only one we know is that guy that's on the radio. And the funeral director said, oh, well, that's Tom Stiles. His church is right down the block. I'm sure he'd be glad to help you. Well, that'd be fine. And so I had a lot of funerals for a lot of unsaved people. And I'd meet with them ahead of time and say, do you have a favorite psalm, a favorite verse or scripture that you'd like me used? And, of course, unsaved people many times would look at you blankly. Or, but if they had any idea, guess which psalm they would choose? Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That's a wonderful psalm. He leadeth me in green pastures. He restoreth my soul. 
Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. The verse saying, or Psalm ends, surely I, goodness and mercy have followed me all the days of my life. I've told you before, I think, when I look back in my life, I think David was an old man looking back, and he said, well, you know, surely goodness and mercy have followed me all the days of my life. That's been true for me. That's true for you, hasn't it? Once you were saved, haven't you seen the hand of God behind you? The Lord's our shepherd. That's a part of a trio of psalms. In Psalm 22, Jesus is the good shepherd that gives his life for the sheep. And then in chapter 23, he's the great shepherd that takes care of his sheep. In chapter 24, he's the glorified shepherd that's coming again for his sheep. Have you lost the wonder that we're the sheep of his pasture? We're his people. We're his people. We're the people of God. When I was four years old, I memorized John 3.16. It's still my favorite verse in the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I love that passage because when I was 13, I made sure I was part of that whosoever crowd that believed. I believed. And I still have not lost the wonder of that. When I was pastoring in uh, West Seneca, New York, we did a thing called Back to Bethlehem each Christmas for several years where we had live nativity scenes with animals and actors and a narrator that would tell the story in seven different stages and people would walk through the parking lot. And the part I loved about it the most was seeing moms and dads walking with little kids and explaining to them the Christmas story and their, their look of wonderment. But you see, there's a danger for all of us to kind of lose that, lose that. My mother and dad were first-generation Christians. That is, none of their family were saved. They grew up in homes without Christ. And at a point in their life, they accepted Christ. I grew up in a Christian home. And sometimes the first-generation Christians have a more of appreciation of what God had delivered them from than people in the second generation or third generation where you've had a Christian home. I hope whatever state you're in, you haven't lost the wonder of it all. The wonder that God loves me and gave his son to die for me. And he promised me eternal life. Uh, what a wonderful thing it is to know Christ as your savior. It's a, it's a great, great wonder. But the psalm ends with a grave warning, a very grave warning. It starts in verse 7. Today, if you will hear his voice. And harden not your heart as in the day of provocation, as in the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me and proved me and saw my works. Forty years long was I grieved with that generation, said it is a people that do err in their hearts. They have not known my ways, unto whom I will answer, I swear in my wrath that they should not enter into my rest. That's a grave warning. The Word of God says, call upon, the name, uh, call upon the Lord while he may be found. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he's near. 
The Word of God says today is the day of salvation. Now, the story is from the wilderness journey. Israel had been liberated from Egypt, from slavery, 400 years of slavery. They had made their way all the way up to uh, Kadesh Barnea. Moses had assigned 12 men, two from each tribe, or one from each tribe, to go into the land and spy out the land. The 12 men came back. Ten of them had a bad report. Two of them had a good report, Joshua and Caleb. And the people listened to the majority report instead of the minority report and got in big trouble. God had delivered them. Now think about it. This, these are the people, these are the individuals that had been in slavery and saw the hand of God deliver them from Egypt through ten plagues. This is the same group of people that had been blocked in on all sides. Mountains on either side, the Red Sea in front of them, and the Egyptian army coming hard behind them. And saw God split the Red Sea in two so they could walk across on dry land. This is the people who complain there's no food here in the wilderness. Surprise, there's no grocery stores. And they said, what are we going to eat? And God gave them food. What are we going to drink? God gave them water out of a rock. I mean, these are the people that have experienced the hand of God, the power of God. They get to Kadesh Barnea. The spy says, oh, 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 there's big people in that land. They're so big. And oh, there's strong cities. Oh, we're not able. We're just not able. We're like grasshoppers in front of them. Sounds like some people today with COVID, I think. But anyway, they panicked. They panicked. And God said, all right, that's it. You're not going in the promised land. Anyone over 20, you're not going in. The two exceptions, Joshua and Caleb, the two good spies. Everyone else is going to die in this wilderness. Forty years long. Can you imagine? Your 40-year career is walking around a desert waiting for the next person to die. That's what you got to look forward to. If you're 19, you're hoping all those old people die. I sometimes think that's part of the government program. But anyway, do you see what's going on here? Unbelief, a heart of unbelief. They turned away. When I read this passage of scripture, I think of a man, an old man that I knew in my church that I grew up in. He was allowed to be an usher. I'm not sure why, except he was a, he was very, a very nice man, a gentleman, uh, always distinguished looking, always very friendly. But my father-in-law confided in me one day that he was not saved. And he would say that. If you asked him, he would say, I'm not saved. Now, he at least was honest. I spoke in a church, stayed in a home where having a conversation with a husband and wife, my host, the man said, I want you to know up front, I'm not a Christian. He goes to church every Sunday, but he, he's bitter and angry at God, so he says, I'm not. So we spent a couple hours trying to talk him into becoming a Christian without success. His heart was hardened. It may be that you've gone through all the motions you come to church, you sing the hymns, you may have been baptized, but you know in your heart you've never accepted Christ as Savior. 
One Sunday morning, First Baptist Church, Otsego, when I finished the message, I gave an invitation. One of my deacon's wives came forward crying. Her name was Donna. I said, Donna, why'd you come? And she said, Pastor, I'm not sure I'm saved. I'm just not sure. My friend, there's nothing more important than that. You need to know that you're saved. I've told you before my testimony, when I was 13, I, as long as I can remember, I believe John 3:16. but when I was 13, I wasn't sure I'd actually personally accepted Christ as Savior. So one night on a Sunday night, I made sure. I made sure. If you're here today and you're not sure, or you're listening through the internet, and you're not sure, make sure. Receive Christ today. Seek the Lord while he may be found. I don't really understand that verse. I confess. One July 4th, I was fixing a barbecue for our family. I was grilling something, I don't know, hamburgers or something. And a man from my church came tearing into the parking lot in his car, slammed on his brakes, clouded dust, came up and said, Pastor, get in the car. I've got to take you to the hospital to see my brother. He's dying. And I said, well, we're right in the middle of things. I, I, I could call tomorrow. No, he says, you've got to go right now. This is it. He's going to die. We've got to go. He's not saved. You, we need to go right now. So I left everything. We drove into Grand Rapids. I went up this room, and this fellow was dying. And I went through the plan of salvation with him. And he looked at me in the eye, and he said, Preacher, it's too late for me. It's too late. I said, Sir, I don't, I don't believe that. As long as you're alive, I think there's hope. He said, no, it's too late. Now, he may have known something I did not know. Because the Bible does say, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he's near. The other possibility, of course, is you don't know what a day will bring forth. You have no idea. This could be the last call. I believe there's two things that God's doing in these days. Number one, it's a wake-up call to the church. We've been sound asleep. It's time to wake up. Number two, it's a, it's a warning to the world of judgments to come. The Word of God says in Psalm 19, verse 17, the wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. That verse gives me chills. That's a somber thing. The word of God says, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Jonathan Edwards was a preacher in New England, was burdened for the salvation of his congregation, convinced pretty much that most of his congregation were not saved. So he began to pray, and then one day he got up and preached the message, sinners in the hands of an angry God. The Lord of God, from all accounts, he was not a very eloquent speaker. He read his messages from a manuscript, expressed, had no expression, high, low, excitement, or anything, but he just read the manuscript. But when he finished, the Holy Spirit came down, and people were saved, and that started what was called the Great Awakening. My prayer is, God, do it again. Do it again. But we don't know. 
D.O. Moody preached on a Saturday night, an evangelistic meeting is in Chicago. He decided they were meeting on Saturday nights. He decided to give people a week to think about it. So rather than give an invitation, he decided that night, go home, think about it, come back next week ready to receive Christ. That was the night of the Chicago fire. Moody lost everything except his Bible. Hundreds of people died. They didn't know it would be their final night. You don't know either. So the thing to do is make sure you've received Christ as your Savior and that you're ready. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Father, for what you're doing in these days. Although it seems like things are spinning out of control, we see what's happening is you preparing the world for what's to come. People complain how bad it is and have no idea that the tribulation will be much worse. And Father, we as Christians need to be looking to you and waking up and reaching our neighbors that are lost. Father, forgive us for indifference. Forgive us for hardening our hearts. Forgive us for losing the wonder of it all. And then, Father, thank you that we can come before you with great, glad worship. Bless now the invitation as it's given in Jesus' name. Amen.